so good to see all of you. Hey, if it's a little cold in here, um, are you guys good temp-wise? Okay, good. One of our furnaces went out, or it's something's up. So it's really hot on this side of the room, a little cold over here. So over here, if you're hot, just move over here. Over here, if you're cold, move over here. Ready, go. Everybody good? All right. That's what's going on. So the bathrooms are cold, lobby, roasting. <clears throat> well, my name's JJ. Um, I love what's happening right now because I, uh, I'm getting to meet new people every week, which is uh, it's fun for me because I like having friends. And uh, when I meet somebody, we're friends, in my opinion. I don't know if we are to you, but to me, we're friends. And uh, so I love meeting new friends, and uh, I love uh, seeing old friends. Um, those of us that have been coming here together for a long time to gather around um, God and each other. So welcome to church. It's good to see everybody this morning. And we are going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are coming to the end of a series that we've called The Radical Middle. Um, this week and next week, we're going to have a launching a launch pad. It's going to be the same text. We're going to look at it for the next two weeks as we kind of land this plane on this search for meaning in life, on these pursuits of things that Solomon wrote some journal entries about, that he gave his whole heart to something. And when he got to that place, he said, dang, is that it? thought there would be more to this. Then he gave his whole heart to something else, and he gets all the way to the end of it, and he stands back, and he looks. And he's like, man, this is cool. Look at all this stuff that I've done. But there's still something missing. So let me pray, then I want to read you this text, and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that the songs that we sing, um, they're full of truth. And I, I just am like, it's weird that there are things that we can do that you say they bless you. They make you happy. When we sing these things to you from our hearts, from the midst of our lives, that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are strong, that you are with us. You're blessed by that. And we are strengthened by that. So, Lord, we, uh, we come to the next part of our gathering where we open your word and... Um, May it be something we do physically that, that reminds us of something that we do inwardly. We just open up our lives. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, and um, that you would be with us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're singing these songs, and I just love music. Anybody else music fans? Today I have a message that I want to teach you, and it's called this. We got the beat. And I couldn't help but think about, we got the beat. Everybody but then I was thinking, like, what is the best beat I ever heard? The best beat. I don't know if it's the best, but I know the one that sticks the most out of my head. It goes something like this. Would you join me? Everybody. I, I'm not going to stop until we're all doing it like you care about it. <laughs> Buddy, you're a boy, make a big noise, playing in the street, going to be a big man someday. You got blood on your face, big disgrace, kicking your can all over the place, singing. Buddy, you're a man, hard man, shouting in the street, gonna take on the world someday. You got blood on your face, big disgrace. Somebody better put you back in the singing. The beat. We got the beat. 
Think about a beat like the skeleton of a song. It's the part that is there. And you think about the rhythm is how you inhabit the beat. What you add to the beat to make melody, whether it's accompanying instruments, whether it's voices. There are things that are built around a beat. Beat is the unchanging thing that is going on in the background. I did a physical thing, whether you like Queen or don't, or you're, you're like, I can't believe we just did that in church or whatever. It's a beat that is so familiar, and it brings around a chorus. I want to tell you, you live by a beat. Your life, my life, is built around a beat. Now, you may not call it a beat. You might call it a set of principles. You might call it a faith system. But there is something going on in your life that is constantly playing in the background, whether you're aware of it or not, that causes you to do your daily rhythms, the things in life. You might call them your habits, your practices, the things that are important to you. You make those decisions based on, so I put it like this, um, beat what you believe, rhythm what you do. We have seen in the book of Ecclesiastes that under the sun is a beat. It's a beat that's happening in the world that Solomon was building his life around. It's a beat that's happening in our world that we build our lives around. It's a beat that says, do what you want, when you want, where you want, how you want, with who you want to. You could say his favorite song was, I did it my way. Which I looked at that song this week, and those lyrics are real heavy. Old Blue Eyes. It's a heavy song. Be worth going back and looking at. Every road Solomon went down, he said, eventually became a dead end. When he got to the dead end, he said, oh, that was pointless. We are going to launch out of chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. If you could turn there. Let me read it to you, starting in verse 9 of chapter 12. Besides being wise, the preacher also also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings, and they are given by one shepherd. Verse 12, my son, be, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. Tell any high school student that, and they're like, amen to that verse. <laughs> they're like, it's in the Bible. Studying is a pain. Verse 13, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The book of Ecclesiastes starts out with a search filled with some sayings, things Solomon said. He actually says here, he arranged them very carefully. It was all for a purpose. And the purpose is, is we would come to this end right here, and he would say, this is the end of the matter. Everything has been heard. It's like the judge's deliberation. Heard from the prosecutor, heard from the defense. 
the jury is out. Everything has been heard. It has been weighed. Here is the end of the matter. The end of the matter is this. Solomon had been following in his, his own heart. He had been doing what he wants. He had been looking for meaning in relationships, wealth, status, authority. He had been marching to the beat of his own drum. And he had forgotten that there was a different beat playing. It was God's heartbeat. It was always going, never changing. And the end of the matter is this. There's two things in those verses I want to point out this morning. I think Solomon came back to things that he was taught as a kid. Before he was rich. Before he was famous. Before he had tested all of the stuff. Before he took a show on the road. Before he had all the fanfare. He says two things in here that really stick out to me. He says these two words. In verse 11, he said, The words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. They are given by one shepherd. First word is shepherd. The second word is this. This is the end of the matter, verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments. Shepherd and commandments. Now, when you read through Ecclesiastes, he's talking about toil. He's talking about lovers. He's talking about all of these different things. And he talks about God, but he never refers to uh, God in in a personal, relational way until he gets here to the end. And he says, fear uh, these, all these sayings, these, these rhythms, we're going to end next week talking about rhythms, things that we do. Today we're going to talk about things that we believe. He said these, these sayings, they're like well-driven nails. Um, it says goads, well-driven nails. Imagine um, a shepherd's staff leading the sheep along. Um, that's what he's talking about, these sayings. They help us, they, they lead us along. God's word helps lead us along. But he's given by a shepherd. The second thing is he says commandments. Now he had been doing what he wants. Now he's saying that there's a word that's higher than his. So let me tell you what Solomon knew as a little kid. Solomon's dad was the king. His dad was King David of David and Goliath, also of, um, yeah, David and his mighty men, David and the sin of Bathsheba, David and running for his life, being anointed when he was anointed at 12 years old. And in the world's eyes, David was so not worthy um, of, of anything that when the prophet who was sent by God to the house of Jesse said, I, I want you to go anoint the next king, over, over Israel. So the prophet shows up and to Jesse's house, and he's like, hey, where are your sons? And he brings seven sons. And they pass by, and they're handsome, strapping young guys. And he was like, oh, this surely is him. And God's like, nope, not this one. Nope, not this one. Nope, not this one. Gets all the way through seven. He's like, do you have any more sons? He's like, yeah, we have one more, but we didn't invite him. He's out. Well, where is he? He's out tending the sheep shepherd he's like well we're not going to eat until you go get him so he goes and gets david david comes in and it says he was ruddy and good looking which there's debates on what's going on i think it was this he was a handsome little firecracker of a kid he was out doing what he could do it tells us later that when he was a young man out protecting the sheep he killed a lion and a bear he could get it done but he cared for sheep and he knew what it was when a sheep wasn't going the way they needed to go, that the shepherd knew they needed to go, he knew how to get them back on track. That King David, when he was 12-ish, a prophet of God showed up to his house, and he came in and he was dirty, wasn't showered. Everyone else was in their Sunday best. He just came in in Carhartts, Romeos, smelling like sheep. He came from Linden. That'll preach. He came from the county. Go get him. Took a while. They didn't have a car. 
But he came in and God said, anoint him, this kid. So they anoint this kid. It would have been weird. They, what they did is they poured oil over your head. It was a sign of God's anointing, his calling on your life. So uh, Samuel pours this oil over his head. And this kid was probably like, what the heck is going on? And he, they prayed for him. And he was like, in God's eyes, he was the new king. Let me tell you what happened. For the next 25 years, David had to live with this conflict of God says, I'm this. The world says, I'm this. Somewhere in the radical middle, he had to navigate that. 25 years later, he got the throne that came with the promise. 25 years of running for his life, trying to serve the kingdom, be faithful to what God wants to do and what the king is asking him to do, trying to do this. 25 years later, sometimes God puts a promise in your heart or gives you a vision of what your life could be, and then he stands back and he says, How, what, are, what does your faith tell you? I believe you, Lord. So what are you going to do with that? And so we start making decisions. This is called life. David would eventually become king. He would eventually have children. One of his children, he named Solomon. God told him, or his son Solomon, he said, David, you're a man, this is God speaking, David, you're a man of war. You have been fighting, building this kingdom. You will not build my temple. David's like, Lord, let me build for you a temple, a place where people can come from everywhere, and they can worship you, and we can sacrifice to you, and we can burn incense to you. It would be a gathering place for all people to come. And God says, great idea. Your son will build it. I will give him what he needs to build it. You do what you can to prepare the next generation. Whoo, that'll preach too. And so here comes Solomon. Eventually, Solomon takes over being king. But he grew up hearing these stories. Stories like, the Lord is my shepherd. Maybe it was a bedtime story. And he was laying down in bed and his dad came and he said, and he was having scared of the dark or whatever it is that our children are scared of, and we try to speak God's truth over them, and we say, you don't have to be scared. Just like how I was shepherding those sheep, God is my shepherd, he might say. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. When I don't have any more strength, God gives it to me. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He is my shepherd. He, you prepare a feast before me in the presence of I, my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's what David said, Psalm 23. That's what Solomon would have grown up knowing as a child. You know what our kids are being taught in the back today? About thanksgiving, about how no matter what's going on in life, we can be thankful to the Lord for his son Jesus, because God loves us. There are simple truths being spoken over your children week after week, after week. They're not complex. They're simple. There are things that our hope is that as our children grow, that they would be able to have a beat in their lives that we're going to, that we want to have as well. That's the shepherd. God is my shepherd. Solomon said it. I would have been taught to him from a young age. Another thing he says, commandments. Psalm 119, in verse 65, it says this. You have dealt, this is also probably his dad writing. If David didn't write this psalm and someone else did, Solomon would have at least known this psalm. It would have been taught to him from an early age. Because this particular psalm 
is like the ABCs of the faith of the word of God for Jewish children. They would memorize all of Psalm 119. It was part of their curriculum. So you have dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I was marching to my own beat, but because your commandments are good, now I follow them. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Whoever wrote the psalm said, why? So that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. This is what had been spoken to him as a child. And then what does he do? He chases riches for years and years and years. And he gets to the end and he was like, it's like what I was told when I was a kid. God's word is better than all of this. What God has is better. So he says at the end, this is the end of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. You know, I look back, think about Solomon here, and I think about my own life. I, lo- I call them defining moments. If I get one movie quote a week, maybe this week it'll be the movie Tin Cup. Costner, one of my favorite actors. And he's a golfer, and he talks about this golf shot, and he says it was a defining moment. And he says when defining moments come along, they define you or you define them. And then his caddy goes on to tell him that this defining moment that he talked about, he hit the ball in the water like five times in a row, but he had to prove to himself that he could make the shot. So he keeps making it, and he says, finally you tapped it in for a crowd-pleasing 13. (laughs) And he says when defining moments come along, you define them or they define you. A lot of times you don't know what it is until you look back on it. Sometimes you think you won getting what you wanted, and you look back and you're like, that wasn't the best for me, but we learned from it. Defining moments change us forever, and they often happen in difficult places or circumstances. They happen in, I call, the wilderness places, the lonely places, the places of testing. But do you know that the places of testing to God are places of development if you let them be? Where we are like, oh God, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, this place sucks, get me out of here. In retrospect, you could be like, wait, I didn't have to be afraid because God was with me in that place. He was leading me in that place. That was a defining moment for me when I said, you know what, this is the end of the matter. God has a beat that's better than my beat. We want to tune into that. God wants you. Solomon, that's what I put. Solomon tapped back into God's heartbeat by reframing his life around something bigger than himself. If you live with your life as just as big as you, you're always going to make decisions based on that. What's best for me? How do I get mine? This is under the sun, you guys. This is how the world works. But God wants you to reframe around something bigger than yourself. He wants you to have a centered spirit. Have you met a centered person before? Someone who was steadfast, who was steady. I love these type of people. It doesn't mean they don't have hardships. It means I'm going to talk to them because I want to know what beat are they marching to. The best way to have a centered self, Solomon learned, is to stop being so self-centered. Can I read it again because it's so good? I think it's worth jotting down, reminding ourselves. The best way to have a centered self is to stop being so self-centered. Solomon took his place in the story of God, not in the story of himself. And then he said, this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment 
with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I want to talk about four things that I believe he tapped back into that are God's heartbeat. The beat that is always going on. I think it would be worth jotting them down. I think it would be worth talking about them with your life group. And I think it would be worth saying these in the morning to yourself when you get up or when times are hard, whatever it is. These are a beat. Next week we're going to talk about rhythms, practices, habits, things that we add to this beat. But if we do rhythms without beat, we'll talk about morality versus relationship with Jesus. So we're going to talk about the things that we do, but first we're going to talk about the things that we believe. Here's the first one. Solomon tapped back into, and with this statement, one of the things of this beat is this. Ready? This is very deep, very profound. I'm just kidding. It's very simple. The first one is this. God is real. God is real. This is a lot of what I want people in our world to know. Just that. God is he's, he's real. He's not make-believe. He's not just a set of principles or the result of good karma or any of these things. He's real. Look outside. Look at another human being. The, he exists outside of this thing we call time, birth, 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, ups and downs, stress, death. And that's under the sun. God exists outside of that. He created us, not the other way around. We want to think religion is just like, oh, yeah, that's your version of creating God. Mm. God created us. We want to do what we can to get to know him. One of the things is he's knowable, but the first one is he is real. He is ultimately in control, not me. The second one is this. Not only is God is real, God is good. Shepherd, his, his good commandments, leading us in the way that we go. It says in the Bible that God is love. In him there is no darkness at all. The Bible says that God is the author of life. He, he authored it, spoke it into existence. I was having coffee with someone this week. I was having coffee with, uh, with Ted, and we were talking about actually this. And he was reminded of when Moses was in the desert. And it was, I just, I had it in my notes, and I took it out because it just makes stuff too long. But there's this other person that Solomon would have been very familiar with. His name was Moses. And there's this one place in Exodus chapter 33. There you go. I'm giving you the address. Go check it out where Moses says, God, I need you to go with us, otherwise this is not going to work. And God says, I'll go with you. And then Moses says, God, can I see you? Show me your goodness. Show me your glory. Paraphrase, God says, you can't look directly at me or it'll be like Indiana Jones where the guy's face melts off. That's how glory, that's how much glory God possesses and power. He goes, but I'll put you in a rock and I'll pass by. And when I pass by, I'll tell you my name. And he puts Moses in a rock and he passed by and he says, I am faithful. I am holy, holy is the Lord, faithful, forgiving to thousands of generations. But, we'll, but by no means will not judge wrongdoing. But he introduces himself as loving, patient, faithful. God is good. You know, a lot of our world doesn't, they, it's not that they don't believe that God exists. People just really sometimes have a struggle thinking that, that God is good. I would say that people that are formed by God's word, his commandments, it's hard to get away from the fact that God is good because it just sort of oozes off of every page. Even when God calls uh, direction or when he calls something wrong that is wrong, he always does it. From a place of love. Why? Because God is love. He never acts outside of love and grace and forgiveness. So Solomon concludes God is good. The same God who was his father shepherd. The same God who shepherded Moses. 
and the nation of Israel in their desert places wants to shepherd him too. Not because he now deserves it, but because God is good. Jesus says it, says it like this, uh, speaking of himself. I am the door, Jesus speaking, John 10, 9, 11, 9 through 11. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. So much even right there. There's a freedom that comes with entering in by Jesus. The thief, the king of this world, the Bible says, this under-the-sun system, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, good, full, to the fullness. And then he says this, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says of himself. And the shepherd, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. Skip down to verse 16, and Jesus still speaking. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Let me, let me, if Jesus was standing here with us, which he is here, by the way, he has the seat of honor every single week, and the Spirit of God is in this place. He's what takes the Word of God, puts it in your heart, changes your life. But if Jesus was sitting here, he would tell us this. I have other people, he would say, that aren't in this room. They're out there. I must bring them also, he would say. They will listen to my voice, Jesus would say, so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. What's being said? People need to know who Jesus is. If, people are, if the Jesus that people know is that he's mean or hates them, they're learning the wrong Jesus because we're giving them the wrong Jesus because we are experiencing the wrong Jesus. God is good. He is real and he is good. He's better than 700, 300 wives and 700 concubines. Solomon had those. God is better than any pleasurable experience that you would give your, your entire life to try to find on this earth. There is something better. Do you believe that? The third one is that God is with me. God is good. God is, or God is real. God is good. God is with me. He says all through the Psalms, David, Solomon's father, that God is knowable. Solomon would have grown up hearing his things. You read the Psalms. They're also poems. They're songs, but they're David's journal entries where he says, like, I'm pulling my hair out because life is really hard. It's like everywhere I turn, someone is against me. I can't stand it. I don't understand it. And then he says, oh, but God, you know me. You are with me. Will you search my heart, see what's going on that I don't even know. God, you know it. Help me and lead me. David does like the theme, the rhythm of his life. And what does is is God call David? A man after God's own heart. Did you know that God is knowable? You can like know him. Not just know a lot about him. You can know him. How do you know God? He says, well, you know him through his word. I would say this. You have a real hard time knowing the fullness of God apart from knowing God through his word. So next week when we talk about rhythms, and one of the rhythms is, are you taking in, it's taking in God's word. Rhythm, something you do with um, a rhythmic uh, timing in your life. You want to meet people that are the most centered, that are steadfast? I bet you a hundred bucks, because that's a lot, right? You still bet a hundred? One million dollars. That if you meet someone who's centered, it's because the Bible is a central point in their life. You can go to church for a hundred years and still be thrown back and forth by your own emotions because you're not marching around the beat of God's word. God is with me. He is worthy of my trust and obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. He says, follow me and I will make you. He's knowable. God is with you. The question is, are we with him? The last one is God is waiting for me. He says in verse 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now this is either very comforting or very terrifying. I don't think that there's much of a middle ground on this except for how we live it out. Let me read it again. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God knows everything. He is real. Not only does he know everything, he is good. Not only does he know everything, all your thoughts and actions and what you will do and what you have done and what has been done to you and what you've done to others, all of that, he is still with you. He is still knowable. But he is waiting for you. He is waiting for me for every generation. Solomon says throughout Ecclesiastes, a generation comes, a generation goes. Nothing really matters because it doesn't last. And then at the end, he goes, actually, God is holding it all together. And every person, every generation, every pathway leads to him. Goes through the person of Jesus. And he will bring everything into judgment, whether good or evil, known or secret. So under the sun, when we're striving because that person got the job and we didn't, and they lied to get it. They told stuff about us that wasn't true so they could get the job. God knows. God is good. God is with you, and he will take care of it. When why did, did I wreck my life from doing this thing? I don't know if there's any way back from this. God is real. God is with you. God is good. And he, he already knows about it anyways. This keeps an eternal perspective. That's the main thing that's missing from under the sun. This 86 years that we have on this earth. Because there will be a time where we take a final breath. It brings about a different perspective. We talked about it last week. What does it look like when you stand back and look at your life from afar? You can't go far enough back to see it the way God sees it. It, it, it goes on forever. He is waiting for us. Jesus, when he left his disciples, he goes, I go to prepare a place for you. And he goes, now I'm going I'm going to leave my spirit with you. He will remind you of all the things that I said in my word. He's going to guide you in the way that you should go. But you guys know where I'm going. And doubting Thomas, we love him. He's like, I don't know where you're going. What are you talking about? This is weird. And he's like, oh, Thomas. He goes, I, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were any different, I would have told you that it's different. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come and receive you again to myself that where I am, you will be with me forever. God is waiting, waiting for you. How do you think he's waiting for you? Like this? You're in trouble. Or do you think he's waiting for you like this? Let's go. Let's go. I can see it. I know it's hard. Look at me. That's what the Bible says he does. He says he sees your life, and, and when you don't feel on fire, you feel like you've been, you're like just barely smoldering. It says that God, he grabs you and he goes, and he fans into flame. He's cheering you on. He is the author. He is the perfecter. He is the finisher. He is the one. He is our shepherd. He is guiding. He's, that's how he's waiting for you. Whether or not you see it that way or not, that's how he wants to be waiting for you. Life under the sun is just part of the picture, and it is not over when you take your last breath. If you believe this, That is called living by faith. If you believe that God is real, if you believe that God is good, 
if you believe that God is with you and you believe that God is waiting for you, if you believe this, then there is the possibility of the opposite of what you experience in this world. Instead of anxiety to the point of depression and freaking out, there is the possibility of peace in your heart because God won't take you through anything that he won't get you through. Then you can work hard without striving, without comparing yourself to the person next to you because you are living for a, you are playing for an audience of one. Then you can experience possibly by, or you can experience by God's Holy Spirit love when there's so much hate. Joy when there's so much sadness. Peace when there's so much stress. Patience. Dear God, we need more of that. Kindness. You know, centered people are kind people. Goodness. Gentleness. There's a gentleness that comes when, in dealing with other people. I remember when I was younger, we were living... Uh, in Breckenridge. It's a tourist town. Anybody ever live in a tourist-driven economy? We, are, we become prideful people. It's like it's your place. This is our place. Go back to the city, you city people. Then you go, get older and you realize, like, wait, we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for them. Because they bring all the money into your economy. But I remember going into the snowboard shop, and I was with Steph, and I think we were just married, so we're talking like 20 years ago. And we walk into the snowboard shop, and Chris Ferris, the owner of the snowboard shop, I went in, and I was popping off about somebody's parking job. I still remember it. This person, they park like this, and what an idiot, and all of this. I can be fiery. And he looked at Steph, and he goes... He'll mellow out, I promise. <laughs> and I was, and I, I wanted to be like, what are you talking about? I wanted him to be with me. Harsh. These people, they did this stuff. Don't they know? This is our town. Blah, 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 blah. It's us versus them. And he just looked at Steph and he goes, it's okay. He won't always be like this. <laughs> if there's something that God has shown me more, I think, than a lot of other things, it's his heart for people as I've gotten older. So much so that when you're gentle, it's hard for people who want to be harsh to approve of the way you treat someone. When you see someone who's, well, in the world's eyes, maybe they're bad. Maybe they're broken. Maybe they're messed up. But you know that the Holy Spirit helps us to be gentle with people. Why? Because God is good. He is gentle. It's his loving kindness that draws us to repentance. It's not him smacking you across the face. Although sometimes those defining moments you look back and you're like, that was, we call them rock bottom. That was a dead end road in my life. Solomon says it. It was like grasping for the wind. But at the end he goes, it's like I was being cared for by a shepherd. God could have dealt with you so much harsher than he did. That's why Jade stood up here and he got baptized and he was talking about being in jail. And he said, God spoke to him. I don't remember this forever. And God spoke to you and he said, this is a gift. Because God is gentle. We're harsh on ourselves. We are not held captive by the world's system. We can be set free. We live by a different set of rules because we follow a different ruler. He has a different beat. And we can be creative with our rhythms. We're not bound by the things that we do. We can use our imagination. We can be creative with the things that we do because we are building our rhythms 
around the right beat. So in conclusion for today, we are all forming our lives around a set of beliefs. You, me, you are making decisions based on what you believe. There's a beat in your life. We all have rhythms of living. Caitlin was sharing about stuff just when she was doing the announcements. There are things that you have to do. There are things that you want to do. We have a saying in our house, you got to do the things you got to do before you get to do the things you want to do. That's a rhythm. That means that responsibility is hard. It's time consuming. You have to do it. We are all doing this in our own lives. Depending on what you believe, it will dictate what you do. Every once in a while, we stand back and we look at this. We look at the big picture. And looking at the big picture, um, often in times of wilderness, testing, trials, hardships, we get to, our beliefs come into question. Am I building my life around the right thing? Am I building my life around the wrong thing? With this perspective comes a choice. Such a rad thing that God offers us a choice. Jesus says the cho- this is the choice. The end of the Sermon on the Mount, he makes this kind of conclusion statement. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came because time and chance happened to all, Solomon says. Storms are coming and the wind blew and it beat on the house. But the house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came. The storms of life happened. And it blew against the house and it fell. And it was a big fall. Jesus is essentially saying what I want to invite you to do this morning. Reorient your life around the person and work of Jesus. It's setting up the right beat. To build your rhythms around God's heartbeat. Whether for the first time ever or the first time in a long time. You know, there's a lot of that going on, if we're honest, and that's a good thing. The past three years have been like really weird. And our rhythms have been thrown off. So much so, we started marching to a different beat. We started marching to the beat of this world is crazy. We started marching to the beat of I can't believe that person got elected. We started marching to the beat of all of this stuff and we forgot that we were marching to the beat of God is real. God is good, not just for you, for the person next to you. God is knowable, do you know him? And God is waiting for you. He's got it all factored in. And that's what Sundays are. It's a chance for us to come together regardless of age, skin color, uh, marital status, financial, whatever. It's a chance for us to come and reorient ourselves around the person of Jesus and do it together. We're a gathering people. So whether it's for the first time, the first time in a long time, which is good, or it's for the fourth time today. Sundays, I reorient myself about five times. Okay, God, this is good. No, this is good because you're good. It's a little crazy. We're going to go and pray. Um, Or I go home and I was like, ah, maybe I didn't knock that one out of the park, but God is good. His word is real. This helps people. These are our, this is the beat. So I want to invite you. I'm going to pray, and if that, you want to reorient, whether it's the first time, first time in a long time, or fifth time today, then we're going to pray together that God would help us to have that beat in our hearts and in our minds when we wake up 
when we go to work, when we deal with the hard stuff, when we go through the good stuff, that we can, he is sure, he is steadfast, and that he would keep us by his feet. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And um, I love these, these words from Solomon that uh, I think came back to some simple truths he thought he, he learned when he was a kid. You know, sometimes we're too smart for our own good. And we need to just remember the simple truth that you are real, that you are good, that you are knowable, and that you are actually waiting and cheering us on for when we will be together physically again. And we won't live this thing called faith anymore. We'll just be with you side by side. So, Lord, I just want to offer my heart to you. And on behalf of anyone, if anyone else is with me in this, I'll just ask you that you would just hold up a hand. We'll, hold, we'll, uh, we'll just pray and dedicate this place and our community to the Lord again today. Father, we thank you for today. Would you just tattoo this beat on our hearts? That whether we rise up or lie down, whether we go to work or we go for a bike ride, whether we go to school, wherever it is that we go, that we would just, the rhythms of our life would be built around, that you are, you are, you are good, Lord. You love us. You give us direction. You give us purpose. So we respond to you with these, this song. We respond to you, Lord, with our tithes and our offerings, the things that we give to you, these healthy rhythms in our life. Thank you for today, and we love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.